0: I'm Grant,
1: and I'm Elena,
0: and welcome to History Honeys, the
1: podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: So, darling, how are you today?
1: I'm okay, okay.
0: Can, do you have everything you need to, uh, to to record today? Yeah. Okay. Are you do thirsty?
1: I got water.
0: Oh, good, good. How much did you pay for that? I didn't. Oh, that is good. That's nice. That's convenient. Yeah,
1: I just turned on the faucet. Came came right out. I guess technically our landlord pays for it, <laughs> and hear like taxes and whatnot, mm-hmm. city fees.
0: That's convenient to be sure.
1: Yeah. Not every it, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. No. No. Is this something we're going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are we going to talk about Flint, Michigan?
0: Not directly.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: <laughs> we're we're going to talk about uh, the Cochabamba water bore.
1: Cochabamba
0: Cochabamba It is the third largest city in Bolivia
1: That is an amazing name
0: And I'm going to say it a lot
1: I like it (laughs) That is a great name
0: Bolivia is a landlocked country in South America Mm -hmm. It's the one between Peru and Argentina Mm -hmm. Uh, It is South America's poorest nation uh, we're gonna be talking about a time when, uh, 70% of Bolivians were below the poverty line and one in 10 children died before they reached five years old. Well, that ain't good. It's not great. Now, a lot of these problems came from hyperinflation in, in the mid 1900s, which ruined the economy. And, uh, then a, a series of coups and, uh, new governments, uh, and eventually a, a democratic constitution they all followed the the international community's guidebook for recovery for for a country in their position a neoliberal agenda of privatization
1: what what when is this time frame
0: when we catch up to to the main topic the the water war we're talking about the year 2000 okay but in order to do that we need to talk about the 60s and the 70s
1: okay yeah okay i wasn't sure what our time frame here was
0: That's not the question I thought you were going to ask.
1: You thought I was gonna ask what is Neoliber lib- liber- I can't say that now. <laughs> Earlier I couldn't say subtract. Yeah. Yeah. I just could those words would not come out of my mouth. I was like I no subtraction. I could not get it out. I was like sub- subtract... subtract mint <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, uh...
1: Neoliberalism. <laughs> Why don't you uh, explain that thing you were going to talk about?
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Neoliberalism. Yeah, that. It's a hot topic these days. It's a, it's a word on everybody's lips, and more than that, on everybody's tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm
1: always tweeting about that.
0: <laughs> you and everybody else. I'm always
1: like, hashtag.
0: Neoliberalism?
1: Neolib. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, well it, you can 't
1: type out all that you only got so many characters that's to work true with.
0: that's true uh, it it's you can sum it up just by describing it as market fundamentalism uh, the belief that free market solutions encourage development and provide the best possible outcomes uh, so you you see this in things like privatization of public goods uh, deregulation uh, free trade agreements all big thumbs up for from uh, neoliberalism. Uh, so over the decades, Bolivia sold off its national airline, the railroads, its tin mines, uh, the telephone company, the electric company, uh, and all of these went to private, mostly foreign investors.
1: I have a feeling none of this goes well, if I know anything based off of privatizing parking meters. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damn you, the, Chicago.
0: Well, the, the idea is that if these things weren't working... Uh, as nationalized or, or publicly operated uh, companies, then why not give private investors the chance? They they have the deep pockets needed mm-hmm. to invest in uh, uh, improving infrastructure, and basically the the idea is that this influx in foreign capital would, would move through the economy. A rising tide lifts all boats trickle okay. down it, it's very reagan it's very thatcher and it didn't work for them either yeah <laughs> but following this neoliberal agenda helped the country qualify for loans from uh the world bank and the uh, uh international monetary fund to fund development mm-hmm. uh, international pressure also led to the destruction of coca production the the 80s were a uh, booming time, sort of the dawn of the war on drugs. And Bolivia is like, okay, if, if you're going to make uh, foreign aid contingent on uh, uh, eliminating coca crops, that's just what we're going to do. So that does mean that 3% of the uh, GDP was lost uh, and 18% of Bolivia's exports. Oh. So while, yeah, the, the, the drug trade was obviously – it is – an awful thing for the world. It was pretty nice for the farmers. (laughs) (laughs) And ironically, it's the most free market a product can be. It's unregulated, it's untaxed, it's duty-free at the border. You just get seized every once in a while. Yeah. But that got scuttled away. So all of these combined to uh, make Bolivia a haven for foreign investment, but they didn't really help the people. Like I said, we, we've got seventy percent of Bolivians below the poverty line mm-hmm. in the in the late nineties in the year two thousand. Cochabamba is uh, the third largest city and four hundred thousand of its citizens weren't hooked up to the water system. That's a lot. It's about half. Oof. Yeah. Oof, oof. Now, poor residents paid even more for worse water because uh, people had to drive it into the neighborhood by truck. And these people, the the, the water truck companies, weren't the most efficient. There was a lot of waste, and they made up for that by price gouging. Okay. And they would just, there was no guarantee that it was clean or filtered at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So the, the public water utility was not capable of serving the people, and the World Bank identified it as a candidate for privatization. The major city's water and sewerage rehabilitation project uh, was approved by the World Bank in 1990, and it included a condition to privatize La Paz and Cochabamba's water utilities. Uh, in the end three water utilities were privatized, those two as well as uh, the city of Santa Cruz de la Serra. Santa Cruz de la Serra was successfully run by a cooperative. La Paz had some mixed results. Uh, The one problem they met was that the uh, indigenous population didn't use enough water, Ah! so uh, at least from the company's perspective, so that when they did expand La Paz's water network, There wasn't enough use, so there wasn't enough, uh, you know, water being bought for them to recoup their costs. Ah. Uh, But Cochabamba's privatization was just an unmitigated disaster, and that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Now, the auction for Cochabamba's water rights had one sole bidder. Always a great sign.
1: Oh, yeah, that's great. The,
0: uh, the, The whole point of, like the advantages of the free market is competition, right? Yeah. Hi, there there wasn't any. And even if they got in, there's only one network of pipes. Yeah. So like, it, it's going to be a private monopoly anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that one bidder was a company called Aguas del Tunari. Uh, now that means basically in English Tunari Waters, and, and Tunari is a uh, nearby... Mountain. Okay. So that that's what the name means. It's not really important, but I was curious. Figure you might be as well. Uh, Aguas del Tunari paid uh, $2.5 billion on a 40 year deal. Okay. Now, by this point in the privatization process, by, by 1999, the World Bank had pulled out of the Cochabamba water situation. And uh, they want to tell everybody from now on, uh, anytime somebody asks, that they had no involvement. And no approval of the deal.
1: So was it just, like, the city then that did it?
0: Yeah, okay. yeah. Like, it, it was a contingency for this for earlier loans. But uh, the, the mayor kept inserting, anybody who runs the water is also going to help us build this dam. And the World Bank's like, that's a bad idea for a dam. Don't build that dam. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the, this deal also guaranteed Aguas del Tunari a minimum 15% annual profit. From their perspective, there's no risk at all. They're going to get their money back no matter what they do. Yeah. Uh, Now, this company, Aguas del Tenari, was created specifically for this deal as a subsidiary of Bechdel Enterprise Holdings, a United States uh, construction company. Uh, Bechdel is currently the ninth biggest privately owned company in the U.S. and the largest construction firm in america yeah it's big company big
1: one yeah they do a lot of stuff
0: and two months after taking control uh so january of 2000 aguas del tunari did a price hike in order to pay for you know their their planned upgrades of you know these outdated systems the the network that's not reaching all the neighborhoods this price hike was in many cases over 200 percent.
1: that's a lot
0: It's a lot. Uh, So you've got people making $80 a month, then being asked to pay $20 a month just for water. People's water bills were greater than their monthly food budget. Yeah. So the the water situation instead got even worse. Population swelled as people who lost their jobs in other privatized industries like those tin mines, Mm -hmm. they all closed in the 80s in order to break strikes. Uh, So there there are a lot of people moving to the cities to find other work, increasing Mm. demand. Uh, Some neighborhoods had dug their own private wells. Neighbors banding together to rent drill equipment to to go to the water, and then they were basically run as a neighborhood cooperative. Yeah. Uh, And the old water use law... Said that the uh, public utility had no right to do anything with those wells? Uh huh. Well, in order to authorize these privatization efforts, Bolivia passed Law 2029, which gave uh, Aguas del Tunari the legal right to the aquifer beneath and any water pumped out of it.
1: Great. That's, that's, that's awesome.
0: So they would have the legal right to seize the uh, neighborhood wells, put a meter on them, and charge people for their use, and charge people for installing the meter in the first place.
1: Yet these people did all the work of making it.
0: Yet water they did not do anything to provide. Yeah. Also water for peasant farmers' irrigation in, in the outlying areas. The the public water utility hadn't regulated either of those. They had no right to, they made no effort to. And now uh, Aguas del Tunari did have that right. They never got the chance to exercise it because when this news dissipated, it's what really set off, you know, the the, uh, water protests, what became the water war. Mm -hmm. So as soon as the rate hikes changed... Homeowners and businesses also saw their bills increase when uh, subsidies ended uh, as part of this switchover. Okay. So, like, before, the, the middle class and, and business owners were having part of their bills covered by the government. Yeah. And now that's not happening.
1: <laughs> ah.
0: So, so, while the the initial switch over what was protested by the left, by the poor, and and critics of sort of this colonialist economic system. Now the, the people with, you know, money and political clout in the country are having it bite them as well. Oscar Oliveira became the figurehead of the movement. Uh, Oliveira was a leader of a federation of labor unions in the area, and for years he had been a major critic of the government's neoliberal strategy. Uh, He started his career in a shoe factory, but then got fired for being an agitator, and instead he got hired on by the factory workers' union.
1: Ah, yeah, that that works out. Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, that's exactly what we need, someone to agitate. There you go.
1: We will pay you to agitate.
0: So as this went on and through the efforts of uh, Oliveira and his network that he reached out to, the demonstrations continued to grow uh, as they educated people on, like, what Law 2029 could mean, Mm -hmm. uh, on just, well, look at what happened to the phone company. How many of you used to work in factories that are now owned by uh americans and europeans all all these uh efforts grew the movement to include uh peasant farmers retired factory workers indigenous women peace workers and sweatshop workers uh who who were very you know useful early on because they set their own hours Mm -hmm. uh street vendors anarchists students and huge numbers of homeless children this sort of wide ranging coalition w- w- became a group called uh, La Coordinadora, which was led by Oscar Oliveira. The protests continued to grow as Aguas del Tunari tried to make a profit. That's their job as a private business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mid January saw a four-day general strike that shut down the entire city. Uh, every way in and out of the city was locked down by protesters, while thousands marched on government buildings, shouting at them to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Some streets were shut down by like tractors dragging in huge trees to cover the road, and then people shoving old broken-down cars on top of the trees. Like <laughs> th- nobody's using this road. There you go. <laughs> now make the water work please yeah uh, it's interesting to hear Olivera talk about this because you know it's hardly the first utility to be nationalized it's far from the first uh, industry but it really set people off because you didn't make the water yeah and we can't live without the water
1: water is life
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> he he came up with this slogan about leasing the rain, uh, which sort of in- inspired people and became the name of a PBS frontline report, one of my sources for this, but <laughs> aired on TV in 2002 or 2003.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that whole, like, you can't lease the rain thing, mm-hmm. like, there, there's been things recently in the past few years or whatever, where cities are making rules about how you can't, like, collect rainwater. Mm-hmm. Like kind of connects. And who are you to tell me I can? Yeah, like I'm going to put a bucket out here and just get some water. Deal with it.
0: Largely it's an argument about you know the the role of the state in providing public goods, but it's also an argument about how we view natural resources. Yeah. Like, who owns water? Like, how do you uh, uh, stake a claim to an aquifer and how does that touch on who gets to tap it and, and what you do with that. Uh-huh. D- don't put a meter on the well and that then, me and a hundred of my closest friends dug.
1: Yeah. And like what other water sources are there mm-hmm. that aren't part of that that you're trying to take control of, such as cases nowadays, like rain coming down mm-hmm. and they're trying to be like, don't use that. Use our stuff. Well, someone wants to use rainwater. Just <laughs> let them. <sighs>
0: And then you, you have World Bank technocrats saying, well, uh, it's a limited resource. The best way to make sure that it goes to those who need it is to make people think about their use by charging them for their use. If you're paying so much per liter, then maybe we're going to get this, uh, our limited freshwater reserves to last a bit longer. And on the other hand, well, yes, but you're punishing people for being poor. And. It's incredibly expensive to be poor. I don't know if people understand that as much as they should. Yeah. So yeah, like I was saying, this is a mass movement. Everyone from all walks of life, uh, as the months wore on, played a part, you know, took part in, in, in this movement. Housewives throwing rocks at police, uh, youth on the front lines with elderly building roadblocks behind them, women going door to door and collecting food and then cooking it to distribute to to everyone out occupying the city. It was a uh, a social convergence of, of you know, the entire city. And then it grew beyond the city. Uh, Aguas del Tunari threatened to shut off the water entirely. You know, no pay, no water. While the government uh, decided that, no, this is clearly bigger than the water. We need to send in the military to calm things down.
1: That's never a good idea. <laughs> That's never a good idea.
0: Well, they got down trees cutting off the city. They need to do something. To get the the country working, I guess. But
1: sending in the military to calm things down. (laughs) It ain't going to calm it down.
0: We'll get to that.
1: Uh (laughs) It might shoot people down.
0: We'll get to that. But yeah, this is what turned the water protests into a water war. Uh, The the movement spread well beyond Cochabamba and the issue of water. Uh, Demonstrations in all of Bolivia's major cities broke out. Uh, over indigenous rights, corruption, the funding of rural schools, unemployment. Uh, La Paz even had a police strike for higher wages.
1: Might as well jump on the bandwagon.
0: The the La Paz police uh, did get a 50% pay increase. They went from $80 to $120 a month.
1: Uh
0: I can't say it's not deserved, but then uh, when it was given, they went right back to work arresting demonstrators. So, so much for solidarity there. Come on. Yeah. Uh, all this expansion uh, led the, the government to crack down even harder. It, it clearly wasn't working. They need to step up their game. Uh, there is a uh, provision in the Bolivian Constitution where the government could institute a state, a state of siege, which would last up to 90 days, and uh, suspended a bunch of uh, civil rights in order to get things Back in order. And they did exactly that in early April. Uh, So martial law was more or less instituted on April 8th of the year 2000. Uh, Police had the ability to seize people for 90 days without a warrant.
1: Oh, that's a, that's great.
0: Which they did a lot. Uh, Reporters were arrested. The military took over radio stations. Uh, They shut off power to the neighborhoods that held all the, all the city's TV broadcast antennas. To limit people's ability to communicate and organize and, you know, get information about what was going on. There was a negotiation between La Coordinadora and uh, the government that was arranged by uh, the, the archbishops. Like, the, the Catholic Church was the mediating body. But it turns out that was a trap, and... uh 25 members of uh, La Coordinadora's leadership were arrested uh, as soon as they got there and sent to a prison in the jungle.
1: I bet they didn't go back to church ever again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be an interesting uh, uh, confession booth. Which one of us here sinned? Um, Do you want to switch? You can
1: confess to me. (laughs) You can. I know you need to.
0: It won't do that much good. You were there. I was there. We, we both know.
1: Jesus knows.
0: Now, the official government line said to international press and, you know, through official news channels, was that the protesters were backed by narco traffickers who were trying to disrupt law and order. That This was an, an AstroTurf thing. They were being coordinated by cartel growers. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the minister of information said, quote, it is impossible for so many farmers to spontaneously move on their own. <laughs> yeah, it, it is simply unthinkable that they all care about the same thing. They They must be getting orders from somewhere up the distribution line, basically.
1: Sure
0: uh people in the streets were even more offended and and some growers were motivated by this to join in and make themselves known because they know the difference between an independent coca grower like selling their leaves for tea and the major growers who bribe the government with cartel cash
1: yeah yeah there's a difference there
0: so uh with the water war in full swing from from January to this this major outbreak in April we're going to take a quick break and talk about uh, how it shook out in the end. Okay. Well, well welcome back.
1: Uh huh. Back.
0: So, yeah, we, we've been talking about the sp- water. Yes.
1: I got some extra water right here. This, <laughs> this one's bubbly, though. Sp- I did pay for this.
0: The spring of two thousand in.
1: Uh... No, this is peach pear. It's not two thousand flavored. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so my question is: Do you,
1: uh-huh. I feel like I flustered you?
0: <laughs> so my question is: Do you remember any like coverage of this? Like you would think this might be a major news story.
1: I was twelve. You were
0: twelve, but like think think back. You know, no strings attached to just come out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. That's what I was concerned about in 2000. Aaron Brockovich was still in theaters. I, was not, I did not care about that. I cared <laughs> about NSYNC. I, I went and saw them in tour. I had my CD. I went to like a midnight CD release thing at Meyer, the 24 hour Meyer. Aaron Brockovich cared
0: about water quality.
1: <laughs> I was 12. The reason
0: you didn't know about this at the time isn't that you were 12, it's that nobody was talking about it. (laughs) At least not in the U.S. Not a single U.S. newspaper had a reporter on the scene. Uh, the, The news stations weren't sending anybody either, even though there's a lot of great visuals just waiting to be filmed mm-hmm. uh, you've got an entire nation in chaos with a major u.s company involved and it was treated like a non-story
1: oh you know our uh u.s news people everything's like that's kind of treated like a non-story
0: <laughs> so th- wah, wah, wah. <laughs> write your local news people and ask them about yemen Yeah, Yeah. Uh, But uh, an American journalist was living in uh, Cochabamba at the time, Jim Schultz. Uh, He was uh, living in Bolivia. He participated in the protests, and he shared his firsthand experiences in an online newsletter. Uh, He was the first to reveal the the link between uh, Aguas del Tunari and the the Bechdel Company. Uh Uh-huh. Actually, in between them was another subsidiary called International Waters, which seems like a real darkly ironic name. Like, yeah. you, on the one hand, that's, it's exactly what the company does. But on the other, like, you're naming it after the anything-goes zone of, like, no laws or regulations. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. In the course of making his audience, at least, o- aware of what was going on, he shared the Bechdel CEO's personal email address a- and his readers flooded his inbox with demands like, get out of Bolivia or uh, else people are going to keep dying in the streets. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of the, the the lack of U.S. coverage, I think it's worthwhile mentioning the U.S. involvement. Like,
1: Oh, of course they were.
0: For one, yep, again, Bechtel is is a U.S. company. They're headquartered in San Francisco, all that. The World Bank is an international body, Mm -hmm. but it's one that's headquartered in the U.S. A majority of its voting power is held uh, by the U.S. and by Americans. Uh, Every president of the World Bank in its history has been a United States citizen. Of course. So while it is independent of, say, the American government, it is clearly very friendly to, to U.S. interests, yeah. uh, worldview policy, etc. Uh, the neoliberal policy that, that was animating this decision and decades of Bolivian government uh, was supported by the U.S. and instituted by American-backed coup governments. In fact, one of the biggest... um uh, dictators of Bolivia in the 1970s, like Bolivia's answer to Pinochet, basically, uh, was, yeah, a, a U.S.-backed guy. Because, hey, in the Cold War, if you're not willing to sell everything, then you, you might be a little ideologically suspect. Uh, he then became the elected president of Bolivia in the 90s and uh, resigned Due to his age, you know, he basically retired while still in office immediately before Aguas del Tunari moved in. Mm. Another connection, the tear gas canisters being fired into the crowds were all American-made. And uh, some of them may have even been donated by the U.S. Embassy.
1: Of course they were!
0: (laughs) Uh... Schultz's investigation couldn't get a positive answer on that, but they did say that, oh yes, we've uh, donated some of our tear gas to uh, Bolivians for past demonstrations, riots. So So they
1: probably still have some.
0: Yeah, there's... there's,
1: We might have even given them more. We're just not going to say so.
0: That's a reasonable assumption. Yeah. It's a conclusion that doesn't take that far of a leap. Nope. So uh, on April 9th, this is the day after uh, uh, the state of siege was instituted, news cameras caught an army sharpshooter in civilian clothes uh, firing from a police line into a crowd of unarmed protesters.
1: Oh, boy.
0: Victor Hugo Daza, a 17-year-old student, was shot in the face and died instantly.
1: He was shot in the face. I would be very very surprised if he didn't. But... That's bad. That's very bad.
0: The the journalists eventually identified the shooter as Robinson Iriarte de la Fuente. He, he was an army captain who was trained in the United States. Uh, years later, he would be acquitted when no civilian judge was willing to hear the case. Obviously a very hot-button issue, and, and nobody wanted that on their desk. Huh. So it was passed to a military tribunal who acquitted him, and he was then promoted to major.
1: Of course he was. that's what we do.
0: Well, that's what they did.
1: Someone, you know, has charges against them. We just promote them.
0: Uh, The outrage and anguish from this event led to the Bolivian government telling Bechdel executives that their safety was no longer guaranteed. And so the executives fled the city. Uh, On the day of Daza's funeral, Oscar Oliveira announced to a a huge crowd of thousands uh, from the balcony of his union office uh, that Aguas del Tunari had left the country. And uh, uh, in the the days to come, uh, all the the, the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed, the, the deal was off. Uh, law 2090 was replaced with a new water use law rushed through the legislature, written largely by uh, La Coordinadora. Mm-hmm. Uh, management of the Cochabamba water system was returned to the old public utility, which had its board filled by uh, Coordinadora representatives. So the water protesters now control the water. Uh-huh. Uh, Aguas del Tunari sued Bolivia for $25 million uh, for lost costs and threatened to also claim lost profits. Okay. Hey, they had a deal, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and they were Uh, so they can just shut up.
0: Bolivia contended the company had spent less than $1 before they fled the country. (laughs) So uh, the the case was held in an arbitration court uh, that was run by the World Bank. Mm -hmm. And after going back and forth, in 2006, a settlement was reached where both parties dropped their claims against the other. At least six people died in the protests nationwide uh, between January and uh, April. With uh, unknown hundreds of injuries. I mean, you spent that much time throwing rocks at cops, firing rubber bullets into crowds. Who knows how many people had, you know, yeah. broken arms, broken faces. Yeah. Blinded by tear gas. Yeah. But uh, in the end, that's, that's the end of the water war.
1: So, so like, now do, do they have water? No. Oh.
0: Uh, Cochabamba still does not have a suitable water system. Uh, The infrastructure is now even older, 17 years later. The aquifer has gone even lower, 17 more years of use. Without the expansion of water utilities into poor neighborhoods that don't have uh, cooperative wells, poor residents are still paying 10 times as much for water as uh, the middle class and the wealthy.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Without a major investment, these problems can't be fixed. And in Bolivia, that means private foreign investment. Yeah. And after this, uh, foreign private investors were terrified of Bolivia.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure in some ways they also weren't very wanted.
0: Yeah. Evo Morales, Bolivia's current president, participated in the water war and used it to grow his political base. Uh, He was elected to his first term in 2006 on a platform of indigenous rights, anti-imperialism, and environmentalism. Uh, In his first term, he refused World Bank and IMF aid. He refused to join the free trade area of the Americas that was being pushed by the U.S. Uh, He is Bolivia's longest-serving president, and his party has nominated him to run again in 2019, even though a referendum said he should not be allowed to do so. <laughs> the the order of events is like he, he gets elected for his third term. There's a referendum of the people saying, okay, that's the last one. You don't get to run again. And then his party's like, we nominated him anyway. By the time of 2019, it'll be legal. Trust us.
1: My God. Not the best look,
0: no, I gotta say, in really. that case.
1: Not, not really, uh...
0: Cochabamba has been featured in the Spanish film Even the Rain, which is, like, a movie about making a movie, but, like, the the lead actor becomes a leader in La Coordinadora, and the director is trying to, like, suss out his personal feelings. Mm -hmm. It's a weird way to frame this story, but it's what they did. Also, it's featured in a lot of documentaries, like The Corporation, which is about the history of corporations where they came from where they're going what they're up to now uh blue gold which is about uh water use and water privatization measures around the world mm-hmm. uh and plenty of others it also calls to mind depictions of you know fictional corporate control of water rights like this is literally the super villain plot in quantum of solace yeah <laughs> Or, if you want to go wilder, uh, the Water and Power Company from Tank Girl.
1: Didn't we just buy that? Uh,
0: the the book, not the movie, yes. Oh.
1: <laughs> I didn't know which one you are talking about. <laughs> not the same thing?
0: No, no. One has iced tea in kangaroo makeup.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. No.
0: I like Tank Girl. I think it's a good movie.
1: That sounds terrible, though. <laughs> don't want to see him in kangaroo makeup
0: it got chopped to heck and back five ways by why like the production have, company
1: why does he have kangaroo makeup oh
0: because he plays one a of kangaroo yeah he plays a kangaroo person there's like a whole terrorist cell of kangaroo person hybrids and one of them's a okay. jazz man and one of them's just Ice tea playing himself but a kangaroo
1: okay when you said like I was like, wait, do are they actually supposed to be kangaroos? They are. Are they, like, people who just, like, pretend they're kangaroos? But they're, like, mm. a hybrid human kangaroo. Yes. Why is that a thing?
0: It takes place in, like, Mad Max post-apocalypse Australia.
1: So, like, the only way they could survive is to mate with the kangaroos.
0: It's been a long time since I saw the movie, but basically, like, I think they were a super soldier program but it was one of the things where their uh, mad scientist creator is like, but no, they are people and they have souls. They are my children. And so he spirited them away and now they live in seclusion and uh, attack the company that was trying to to make them soldiers.
1: Why why were they morphed with kangaroos?
0: For super jumping ability. Australia
1: has a lot more, like, (sighs) fucked up animals they could, like... Make super soldiers out of them. (laughs) Like, come on.
0: Yeah, they're kangaroos
1: can kick hard, but there's like way more poisonous things out there. They're
0: incredibly muscular, though. Kangaroos are ripped. I
1: know. I've seen some ripped kangaroo pictures online, but I feel like one of the things that's like venomous or poisonous. Like, (laughs) I mean, come on. Even platypus is like poisonous.
0: Yeah, but they have had enough genetic stuff going on we don't need to make the the platypuses even more crossbred
1: yeah I, I feel like they missed an opportunity here
0: in other news <laughs> uh bechdel through international waters stayed in the water business uh shortly after this it won contracts in ecuador and estonia
1: of course they did
0: uh i did find a report about the ecuador one where uh
1: did they fuck it up too
0: not as disastrously as this, but compared side by side with a publicly run Ecuadorian water system, it had worse outcomes over I think it was like a 5-year study.
1: Not surprised. Yeah. Not surprised.
0: But water privatization was rolled back in uh Panama. There there was a privatization happy president who lost huge in the next election. Mm. There was a province of Argentina that had a a privatization thing struck down. Uh, The cities of Lima, Peru and Rio de Janeiro had, had theirs rolled back. Meetings of the IMF and World Bank in 2000 had pretty massive protests against them. I remember that.
1: I don't remember it.
0: Okay. <laughs> and uh, Oscar Oliveira was part of these. He, he began uh, globe-trotting, basically, taking the story out of Bolivia and to Bechdel in San Francisco to uh, the World Bank and the IMF whenever they met. Uh-huh. And, and he became uh, sort of a, a celebrity's not the right word.:
1: The face of the movement.
0: Right. <laughs> but but anybody who had a bone to pick with these international neoliberal bodies, you know, he's a guy who you want writing a blurb on your book jacket. You know, ah. he, he's someone you want to go to for an interview to get eyes on what you're doing.
1: I see. You want you want him to support you. Yeah, because if he supports you,
0: then then you get cred. You, yeah, yeah,
1: it means you're. <laughs> he had legit. a
0: lot of cred to give away after this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically my notes. That's what I wrote up. Uh, so, darling, what have you learned?
1: I, le- I learned something else about Bolivia. Yeah, I did not know much about Bolivia. Mm-hmm. I know they have a very big Mennonite community.
0: That's <laughs> true. We. Uh, I
1: think that came up in the Anabaptist. Of
0: all the Latin American countries, Bolivia, I guess, is our most covered.
1: As I said, I was very into NSYNC when I was 12, was not following the news.
0: <laughs> and I, even if you had, it would not have helped.
1: It would not have helped. Like, I would not have known.
0: This news was mostly broken in, like, a New Yorker article from O two, like, well after the events actually happened <laughs> to yeah. the mainstream American yeah. consciousness. Yes, that
1: is. yes. Oh, why is there always a fight about water? <laughs> why do we always have to fight to just have water for people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like, not have contaminated water and have access to water?
0: Like yeah, at, at the beginning when you asked if we were talking about Flint and I said not directly, there are clear parallels. Yeah. There's someone from outside the mm-hmm. community coming in and trying to make a, a quick savings mm-hmm. by interrupting the way it works and it instead ruins it for everyone.
1: Yep. That that is one of several things that it parallels.
0: Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a frustrating one. Yep. I did not expect to get much out of you this episode except exasperated grunts.
1: They, I held them in till the end and now that's all I got.
0: And and that a very frustrated clapping noise.
1: I clapped? Oh yeah, I do that. I do do that a lot. I just like hit my legs. Did you learn stuff while you uh, approached this episode?
0: It is interesting to see how this huge flashpoint on the one hand, it is very unfortunate that it did not really do much to help the water situation. It it prevented the worsening that that was happening. It it just rolled it back to the bad that it was before. Yeah. But on the other hand, this massive outpouring against uh, the the neoliberal consensus that still holds basically the, the entire developed world and developing world and at least got rolled back in uh, Bolivia there is an actual light socialism happening and has been for about ten years now mm-hmm. with uh evoism and uh the soft renationalization of, of many of those industries yeah the government now gets over eighty percent of revenue from the uh oil industry mm. the the company only gets about eighteen percent
1: ah <laughs> Big difference there. Big difference. Yeah.
0: So it gives me mixed hope for the future. Mixed, mixed hope. That with this general slide, that sometimes there is a point where it's too far, and you get a a critical mass of people agreeing that it is too far, and that things will change.
1: Huh. That goes with a lot of things right now (laughs) in the world. Not going to point out what they are, but...
0: Because it would be a very, very long list. Yep. So, so yeah, my, my only hope is that there is eventually a major capital investment. I mean, ideally, it won't be a foreign private investor, but it will be somebody with the millions it takes to get water to these outer neighborhoods.
1: Yeah. People need water.
0: Yeah. We are pulling for you, Cochabamba. We... I, I, I wish I had it, you know, myself, but I don't. Yeah. So with that, we are going to be right back with some fun mail times. Yeah. And some announcement times and all, you know what we're Bad back times? With. You know. <laughs> so now we do that stuff that I said you know what we do. Yeah. Which means letters.
1: Woo! Now, and we have a grand total of two. Because <laughs> you didn't give a prompt.
0: Yeah, uh, our, our prompt for this episode was that there wasn't one.
1: Yeah. You've done that like twice now. Three times maybe.
0: You know what? I like go-getters. I like self-motivated people. I like when people just enjoy chatting for the for chatting's sake.
1: Yeah. I'm judging you.
0: I know. See, uh, when I couldn't come up with a uh, prompt last time, I said I was bad at my job. So Jeff wrote in to talk about someone who was bad at their job until they weren't.
1: (laughs) So there's still time for you. That's what he's trying to tell I will eventually
0: be good at making this show, (laughs) just like Oprah Winfrey.
1: Hey!
0: (laughs) Oprah has a pretty famous story about... uh, her rough childhood, but what's a little less well-known is uh, her rough professional career. Uh, She was the first black female news anchor in Nashville, but the ratings weren't so great, so she was taken off the air uh, and and moved to Baltimore as a co-anchor, but then got demoted off the air there as well. Uh, it wasn't until she started working in Chicago as the host of a, a low-rated AM Chicago like morning show that her talents were truly recognized, and that is that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is one way of saying it, yeah. but it reminded me of a monologue Leslie Jones did <laughs> about how well maybe she just wasn't any good yet.
1: Yeah. She wasn't Oprah yet.
0: Yeah, it it wasn't them failing to recognize her abilities. She just hadn't yet developed them.
1: (laughs) I do love that Leslie Jones skit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one.
0: Either way, I mean, I guess you'd have to go find a lot of uh, 70s and 80s local news footage to judge for yourself. To
1: see if she was good or not.
0: (laughs) But thanks, Jeff.
1: He also sent us pictures of Phineas. Phineas. I love Phineas so much. I really want to pet your dog. <laughs> He's just so fluffy and fuzzy looking. Like, I judge all other dogs now on Phineas's fluffy ears.
0: It's true. I've yeah. seen it happen.
1: Yeah, I'm like, those aren't as fluffy as Phineas. I've never been so infatuated with a dog. Uh, Leanne sent us an email. Uh, catching up on a couple uh past prompts, one of which is a favorite doggo, uh, and that is Hachiko. Hachiko. Uh, in the 20s, Hachiko belonged to a university professor in Japan, uh, and he was known for following his professor to the train station and waiting for him when he came home off the train. Uh, but one day his owner did not come home. Uh, as he died while giving a lecture uh, for the next nine Which years. Which I think means
0: everybody got an A, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, the next nine years, Hachiko would wait for him at the train station to come home. Uh, because of that, he got very famous, and there's now a statue of him uh, at one of the train stations in Tokyo. Aww. So uh, and she also, uh, Leanne caught us up on uh, some movie trivia. Uh-uh,
0: that's not what it's called. Some movie-a. All right.
1: <laughs> that being from Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. <laughs> uh, and while listening to the commentary for it, I found out that there is a section of the movie uh, where a space weapon is shooting at Batman and blowing up chunks of the city. Uh, and that part of the movie was storyboarded by... Uh, someone who happened to be an animator on the film Akira. They talked about how basically they were, the animation stuff was trying to outdo the previous work on Akira. Which and, like, is a heck really...
0: of a high bar to shoot for. Yeah. I mean, you would, though, like if that was your job.
1: Yeah. So thank you, Leanne.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Leanne. So that's it for our mailbox this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh if you would like to send us a letter, those can go to
1: History Honeys Podcast at gmail.com.
0: And feel free to send us show suggestions, questions, anything you might like read right on the air, including our uh, uh prompt for nearly every episode. Uh-huh. So, Darlin, what would you like to hear about?
1: Well, our our next episode. It's is basically like our anniversary episode. It is. We, it's going to
0: come out one year exactly from uh, episode one.
1: Yeah. So I feel, uh, not not to like pat our own backs or anything, but I feel like this would be a great time to hear from uh, our listeners to know like what over this past year has been your favorite episode. Yeah. What, what was your favorite subject matter we covered um, and like... Why? Why'd you like that one? Uh, (laughs) I think it'd be a fun time to know what uh, stands out to you guys and what you've enjoyed.
0: I wonder if this is going to be anyone's favorite episode.
1: I bet it's going to be Jim Henson because we made people cry.
0: We did. Just
1: weep openly. I don't know.
0: I don't want to affect the results. So like when we're done recording, I think we'll have this conversation.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah okay
0: so yeah i i'm excited to to read those letters and all your letters no matter what you know what else i'm excited for what chatting with people on social media
1: oh folks
0: who find us on twitter on facebook on instagram Mm-hmm. and all of that is at history honeys
1: yes it is nice uh, and simple for you guys
0: <laughs> archie comics now follows our history honeys instagram
1: yes they do because sometimes our History Honeys Instagram is also our Sex Archie Instagram, just going to say. Because <laughs> you know what? I don't want to make an account that's a Sex Archie because I don't want those Instagram bots finding it. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about that.
0: <laughs> I get that. I get that a lot. Yeah.
1: Though it's like 75% History Honeys. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, speaking of Sex Archie, uh, the Riverdale season is over which means it is now entirely on Netflix in every Netflix region that's going to have it. Yes. I'm pretty sure worldwide.
1: Yes, it was actually on a Netflix in other countries before it was on Netflix here. Right. So, that means if you have put off wa- listening to our other podcasts because you wanted to watch Riverdale, uh, now you can. Now, it- there's like no excuses. It's It's available in, like, every way possible except, like, DVD yet.
0: And just give them time. they will be coming soon. It takes a bit. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, we are happy to be your uh, guides through the town and show of Riverdale. Uh, Whether you want watching buddies alongside or in place of the show, uh, that's, that's what we do, and we have a great time doing it. It has a completely different energy to this show, but it's the same sort of chemistry and such that that you hopefully like, because you keep listening to us, so. Yeah. <laughs> also, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a, a rating and review. We are over 50 iTunes reviews. What? You know what that means? We're on our way to 100. <laughs> I'm insatiable. <laughs>
1: This number just keeps going up, and it surprises me every time. Because you know what? I don't go on iTunes. (laughs) Go leave lots of reviews, and the next time he tells me, I'll just be even more shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You can also tell a friend. They now have, well.
0: They now have friends.
1: Well, no, I was going to say, you have 27 episodes to get your friends hooked on us. That's
0: a full year's worth. A
1: full year's worth. So, help them find an episode that will spark an interest for them mm-hmm. to introduce them. They don't have to start at the beginning, obviously.
0: I mean, yeah, if if your friend is one of those people who won't stop using the word neoliberalism on Twitter...
1: Here you go! This is their
0: jumping on point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they just want to hear about children dying in a fire. You can then go back to really the beginning of our run. <laughs>
0: Whatever you
1: think, you know, they would enjoy.
0: Also the beginning of your friendship and maybe evaluate (laughs) what happened there. Uh, But yes, we absolutely would appreciate that. It's the best way to grow our audience, grow our our little friendly community of uh, JJ the Horst Face Horse superfans.
1: JJ! (laughs) There's JJ fan art now.
0: There is. It's wonderful. Thanks, Callum.
1: I love it so much. Like, I want to frame it.
0: All right, then. I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better
1: with With your your honey. honey.